for the month of October, we're going to spend these Sundays in the book of 1 Peter. I'm actually going to go through the entire book in these five Sundays. There are five chapters. I'm going to go through all of them. It won't exactly be a breakdown of a chapter a week because the, the, the flow, the organization of the text doesn't work that way. But we are going to finish the book in five weeks. Now, I have met with some resistance in saying that, some, some unbelief in the house. Yeah, um, one, one, one person on our team actually said, so you're going to pontificate through First Peter. And I don't even think he knew how funny that was. Because, you know, Peter and the Pope and the pontiff, and it's funny, <laughs> pontificate. So I will pontificate from Peter's, Peter's first epistle. Yeah. And we will do well to lean into Peter's words to the church. I have to say this as a, as a mea culpa. I, in, in my, in my uh, pulpit ministry, I have spent time with our friend Matthew, uh, lots of time with our friend Luke, good, good, good time with Mark, even the end, but, and, and, and we have long conversations. Oh, we've loved it. I've enjoyed John and Paul. But I have not, I have not invited Peter. And I just, I have not invited Peter to come and talk to us. Now, you might say, hey, Mark is kind of Peter. Yeah, that was secondhand, but just Peter. Peter, this close friend of Jesus, this man who fell and rose again and become, and really did become foundational, a pillar in the church, who has shaped the history of the church with his life and his stories, good and bad. I think it'd be good for us to listen to him. So let's listen to his words. Uh, the theme of our study for the whole month is this. Live like you're saved. We've broken it down into these five sections. Number one, you are really saved. Kind of like, like a Jeopardy thing. Yeah. You're really saved for 200 now. You're really saved. Secondly, so then live holy. Live with honor. Live as a grace giver. And live with hope. That will, that will be the entirety of our month of October. But for this morning, get your Bibles and keep them open and stare at them. Take them to group with you. Reread what we're going over today and then read, go ahead and read again. Now, we're, I'm not going to read the, the entirety of the text first because all of the text, every word of it is in my notes. Okay? And I'll try to keep kind of reference in there where I'm at. But you can follow along. I'm reading from the New American Standard. And I just took the text out, put it on my notes, and then added some uh, study and some pontificating, all right? But first, let's one more time ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit, would you come and help us? Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to obey? These are your words that you breathed into Peter through the church, for the church, I mean. So, Lord, may we hear today, but let us not be hearers but all, only, but also doers. Lord, let your word come not only to inform but to transform us. Spirit of God, give us all the capacity to hear as the very words of God. And let us respond accordingly. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you all say amen. It begins with this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Some in history have sought to reject Peter as, a, as the author of this text, that they do so in vain. They do so far too late to the party. They waited about 1,750 years to start saying, well, maybe it wasn't him. I find that egregious, condescending, and a little bit ridiculous. That 1,750 years later, they could change their minds like they knew better. No, for centuries, multiple centuries, the church attributed this to, to the Apostle Peter, and I'm with them. 
So here we have this Peter, this, this, this letter saying from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, he, the, the audience of this text, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The audience of this letter is addressed as aliens who are scattered through the Roman province of Asia Minor. That Peter calls these people scattered or dispersed and aliens or strangers, scattered aliens. The fact that he calls them that is significant because he means to remind them that he knows and he is reminding his audience of this fact that they are living in a country that is not their own. They are living in a country not their own, and he is not necessarily referring to a physical place, but to a spiritual reality. He is writing to a people who have turned away from their sin and away from the world and have turned toward Jesus Christ as Lord. And they are now serving Christ as Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and Coming King. He is writing to those people. And if he is writing to those people, he is writing to you today. For every Christian, Peter's message is this, both for them and for you. Peter's message is this, this world is not your home. Heaven is your home. Come on, somebody say it out loud. Heaven is our home. You've got to get this right to get any of the rest of this letter. You've got to land on this. He is writing to people who need to be reminded, who are clinging to this reality that this world is not home. Heaven is our home. Consider the words of Jesus himself on this matter. Jesus said, uh, speaking to his disciples in John 15, 19, he said, if you were of the world, pardon me, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Eesh. In his, in, his, in his priestly prayer in John 17, the Lord prays, he said, they, speaking of his disciples, his followers, you and me even, he said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That phrase, even as, is that word has, or it's a, it's a combination of that word has, in the same way, in the exact same way that I am not of the world, Jesus said, they aren't. Listen, friends, you are no more of this world than your Savior. John 18, 36, Jesus answered his accusers, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Listen to this next sentence, and I hope it bugs us. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. Wait a minute. That means his servants shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a... a Listen, if my, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. We've got no dog in this fight. This world, we are not fighting against this world. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are awaiting the return of our Savior from there. 
So, friends, no matter what the circumstances of this world, if things are smooth and they are sweet, if things are hard and they are sour, this world is not our home. This world is not our destiny. Our citizenship is firmly documented in a different world. That means you don't get to define your life or its value or its worth by your achievements or your possessions or by how you are evaluated according to this world's standards. You you have the opportunity to live free and freely and differently because you're from a different place and you're headed to a different place. This world is not your home. I don't care if it's super good or not so great. The the problem is you got to let go of it. Cling gently to this world with an open hand and be ready to give it all away because it's all going to go, but you're going to go somewhere else. We must believe like and we must think like and we must value like and we must prioritize like and we must endure like and we must hope like and we must live like we are from somewhere else. Like we are headed somewhere else. Like we belong somewhere else. It's why we can give this life away. It's why so many people before us were able, they said, deny Christ. And they said, no way. So they stuck him in a cage or they stuck him in a cave for decades. And they said, it's all right. I'm just, I'm just passing through. And it's why people can be young, young adolescents at an altar in church and say, whatever you want, Lord. And they'll move across the continent away from an extended family and a network of relationships. And they'll give their lives away to total strangers because this world is not their home. We must live like we are saved. A great deal of this letter from Peter anchors our identity and our hope in the world to come. Now, the original audience didn't just find this interesting or even mildly inspiring. It did more than just give them a shout. For the original audience, they had to know that there was more than this. The original audience, the Christians at this time, and this Peter is written somewhere after A.D. 60, probably before A.D. 65. So imagine how, how, I mean, how the, the ancient text we have in front of us here. Between A.D. 60 and 65, Peter writes this. And at this time in history, Christians had become, they were viewed by the Romans, as by the Roman government, as hostile. They were literally viewed as a threat, as a problem. Why? Well, not because they caused any trouble, per se. Not be- certainly not because they protested or occupied anything or vandalized any property or because they even, not even because they marched in the streets peaceably. No, they just, they just lived radically different lives. And they wouldn't stop talking about the hope they had in Jesus. They lived like they were saved. And as such, they earned stereotypes. They were called names. You want to know what they were called? First of all, well, they were called they were called Christians in Acts, in Acts eleven. Yeah, and that was a kind of a term of derision, but it got it got worse. <laughs> they were called atheists. Atheists, yeah, because they didn't believe in the Roman pantheism. 
They didn't believe in Roman gods, and particularly they had a, part, they had a particular aversion to saying that Caesar was Lord. So they were atheists. They were also called cannibals. Because they kept talking about the body and blood of the Lord. Feasting on the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Cannibals. Furthermore, they were called, they were, they were accused of being incestuous. All they did was to have these love feasts and talk about love, and they kept talking about loving their brother and their sister, and they said, ah, oh, they're just perverts and gross. See, the, the world took something beautiful and twisted it, something holy and profaned it. But it wasn't just stereotypes and name-calling that they, that they faced. It was actual derision and persecution. Some say uh, that... Uh, and they, people like to deny this a little bit, but uh, Nero had so much fun because he had found someone to blame for all the problems that Nero had beautiful gardens. And to keep his gardens illuminated at night, he would burn Christians alive as lanterns. So these people were scattered, chased, oppressed, they lost everything. They fled for their lives. They were persecuted and rejected by both Rome and by the, even their Jewish leaders. But Peter writes to them to remind them that they are really saved. That they are destined for something else. Something more. Something better. We, friends... We are strangers and aliens here because we are saved for somewhere else. Then Peter says to those aliens who are scattered abroad, he said, you who are chosen. Everybody say chosen. You are chosen. Can you hear this? To those who don't belong, to those who are scattered and fleeing and rejected by the world, you are chosen. The world hates you. The world scatters you. The world oppresses you. The world is trying to kill you. But, it, but in heaven, you're chosen. Chosen. What's that mean? It means selected. It means chosen as a recipient of special privilege. It means to be specially loved. Chosen. Chosen, verse 2 says, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. You are chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Friends, this precludes any idea of happenstance or surprise or accident. You are not a mistake. You weren't a surprise. You were planned. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're planned. And if listen, friends, if you were planned, that means you cannot be forgotten. He saw you before you saw him, and he's had his eye on you ever since, and his eye is on you now, and it will be forever. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father, and then, he, listen to the, the next phrase, chosen by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That means the Spirit's work in your life is how the Father's choice becomes a reality. The Spirit, once again, the Spirit applies what has been accomplished. The Holy Spirit has set you apart 
He has set you into the sphere of what is holy. You are really saved. You're saved on purpose and set apart by the Spirit. Then, Peter says, you are chosen to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. What does it mean, chosen to obey Jesus Christ? Well, most likely what this means is this, that, that the gospel itself is a command. It's not an invitation. It's a command. Repent. Believe. So there's only two ways you can respond to a command. You can obey it or disobey it. But you were chosen to obey it, to say yes to Jesus Christ. And when you say yes, when you obey, the Bible says you are sprinkled with his blood. It's a, it's a reference, it's a picture to the Old Testament practice of taking that sacrificial lamb and applying that blood. That's why David said in Psalm 51, he said, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. That literally means that hyssop was the branch that they used to dip into the blood of a lamb and to sprinkle it. And David said, if you purge me, if you put that blood on me, you'll take all the sin off of me. And, G and Peter said, you've been chosen to obey Jesus Christ. You've been sprinkled by his blood. If he put his blood on you, he'll take all the sin off of you. You are really saved. Then he blesses his audience and he says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. The Old Testament, they would say, shalom, peace to you. They, and it was, it was a big, wonderful word full of blessing and and uh, nothing missing, everything, nothing missing, everything in place, nothing broken. It was just peace. It meant the blessing of the Lord. It meant the provision of the Lord. It was everything good they could say. Peace. They continue it in the New Testament, but they add grace. As if you might say grace and peace. As if you could say this idea of grace, this favor, this kindness, this joy. That, this, that the grace of God makes, the, makes peace finally available. Grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Say more and more. More and more. There's, there's this unlimited in, uh, design and intent of heaven to bring, to produce, to pour out grace and peace upon our lives. You are really saved. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, there are some that say, hey, that sounds like, that sounds like Paul. And there are those that say, yes, he's doing that on purpose. Already, there is an agreement and a, and a concert voice of, of epistolary literature. They know they're writing something special. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow, that's a big one. Here it is. Peter offers praise and thanks to God for this salvation, and he describes it as that God has caused us to be born again. Somebody say born again. You have been born again, literally reborn. Salvation is not just a new idea. It's not trying harder. It's not subscribing to a theory. It's you weren't dead, but you weren't alive, but now you are. You were dead, but now you're not. You were living this way, but you might have been alive as a, as a human being, but there is a spiritual, supernatural experience that John 3 calls being born from above, born by the Spirit. And I'm telling you, friends, if you don't know you've been born again, you can be born again, but you must 
must be born again. You must be born again. You're not going to get to heaven on the train or on the ticket or on the, on the tailcoats of somebody else. You've got to receive new life. You've got to be born again. But praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused it. You can't make yourself born. He found you. He chose you. And he caused you to be born again. You've been born again into a living hope. Woo! Living hope. A hope that is alive. What do you mean a hope that is alive? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. On one hand, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is makes, makes certain, makes absolutely certain of your hope. Your hope is built on nothing less. Somebody should shout. Listen, your hope, your hope is built on the fact that there is a, a carved out rock outside of Jerusalem with nobody in it. They put a dead man in there and he walked out of there. There's a, your hope is built on this, that, has the, that history, history revolves around one fact, that there was a man named Jesus Christ who was crucified, who was buried. But on the third day, he rose again. And that empty tomb tells you something that you have a hope that can't be moved you have a hope that can't be contained you can put a rock in front of it you can seal it with a with a cord you can put guards around it but ain't nothing but a stop your hope your hope is alive because jesus christ is alive as a matter of fact your hope is alive because jesus is alive if jesus christ is your hope He's alive, therefore so is your hope. You have a living hope today because you have a living Savior today. You are born again into a living hope. And that hope includes an eternal inheritance. You know what inheritance is? It's something that you get that you ain't got yet. Marie's not here, I can say what I want. An inheritance is something that you get, you ain't got yet. Now, I know, it's, how many think it's wonderful to be a Christian? Hallelujah. Wonderful to be a Christian. I'll tell you what, it's wonderful, wonderful to be a Christian in America. Hallelujah. You know what? Not everybody says that. Sometimes say, hey, I want to be a Christian. Oh, great. And let's take your head off. I want to be a Christian. Oh, really? We're going to put you in a cave for 20,000 years. I mean, you're dead. You've lost everything. You can name the name of Christ, lose your head, lose your life, lose your family, lose everything for the privilege of naming him. That to make us feel guilty should make us feel glad, should make us feel grateful. Hallelujah. Thank God for America. <laughs> Love America. God bless America. God bless America. Amen. Wonderful video Christian in America. But you know what? Even American Christians, guess what? You got an inheritance. Yeah. You're, you're, there's something you're fixing to get that you ain't got yet. And I'll tell you what, Americans, you might live a little bit more like you're saved if you believe that what you're about to get is better than what you got. If you, let, if you stop loving what you got so much and start living for what you're going to get, you might live a little bit more like you're saved. Hey! You have an inheritance in heaven, the Bible says, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That means it is incorruptible, undying, unstained, unsoiled, enduring forever. There is something coming. And 
you and that inheritance, the Bible says, verse 5, Peter said, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It's not even revealed yet. You are being protected by God's power as you wait for a salvation, a great deliverance. Your salvation is a present reality and it's a future hope. What you're going to receive will never fade. It will never depreciate. And nobody can take it from you. Because God is protecting it by his power. And in this, Peter says, in this, you greatly rejoice. Even though, he says, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have to be distressed by various trials. Again, for them, that could mean loss of everything. Being turned into a lantern. For us, you might get unfriended on Facebook. <laughs> Called a prayer chain. <laughs> I, somebody pray for me. I got blocked. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. You need to call benevolence. Bring you some meals. Hallelujah. This is important, especially for those who are distressed by various trials. For those who were persecuted in Peter's day, for those who since then have been victims of slaughter and oppression, who are experiencing that right now. Next month when my, my friend Dr. Sama comes and after the Nessa's minister, we're going to hear a little bit about world missions. Nessa's are going back to Kenya. Dr. Sama's from Egypt. He has his, his ministry is still working closely around the Mediterranean in Iraq. People are facing slaughter and oppression. But even you, even you and I, the shade the world throws at us, the shame, the pressure that you feel, we can rejoice. Somebody say, we can rejoice. Take it off. Come on. We can rejoice. Why? Why? Why can we rejoice? Because this is not that. <laughs> We rejoice because this is not that. We rejoice because that is better than this. And why I am not living for this. Somebody help me, Jesus. Say, I am not living for this. I am living for that. And because of that, I can rejoice in the middle of this. Because that is that good. You have reason for great joy. Why? Because someday your faith is going to be proven right. That's verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire. Why do you say that? He said, look, gold gets more valuable when it comes under pressure and testing, but it's perishable. Your faith, it's being tested. It's being refined, but it's not perishable. It's not perishable. It's going to be proven right. And it's going to be proven right with praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith is going to be tested. It'll be pressured. But it's going to be proven right one glorious day. Because Jesus Christ is going to split the skies. He is going to come again. And it will, there will be praise. And there will be honor. And there will be glory. And then Peter says, though you, you don't. He said, you, you, you haven't seen him. You might have heard about him. You haven't seen him, but you love him. 
Somehow you've experienced him, though not with your physical eyes. You experienced him in a way that now you love him. And though you don't see him now, you do believe in him. And because you love him and believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Because you live by faith, not by sight. You love this Jesus who you have not yet seen, but you can't wait to see him. This Jesus whom you love and in whom you believe is cause for great joy, inexpressible joy and full of glory. Listen, friends, you are saved. You should rejoice like it. You can rejoice in persecution and hardship, in abundance and in lack, in loneliness and in crowds. You can rejoice because you're not living for this. You're living for that. Let me say this very gently. Because your joy is not based on or derived from these things, friends, I wonder if joyless Christians have gotten lost. They've gotten trapped by the temporary. Joyful Christians know that something is coming. That's where verse 9 says, what's coming is, why you're rejoicing, why you got your joy on, is because you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. There is something so magnificent about that. Joyful Christians know the ultimate outcome of their faith is the salvation of their souls. And this salvation is worth every bit of joy you got. If you can't find that joy, you are in the midst of an eclipse. Think about eclipse. We just had one, so it really works well for us to think about it. An eclipse. Think about it. You've got this brilliant, unimaginably brilliant sun, which is the source of light and life. And if, you, and if things move around just right and you do this just right, then one small, dead, lifeless rock can obscure all of that. Christians, if your life is suffering from a lack of joy, the answer is not more of this. The answer is you won't find more joy here. What you need to do is push that dead rock out the way. And if you do, and if you stare, listen, I got to warn you. They said on TV, you stare at the dead rock and it moves out the way. What's coming is bright, brilliant. It'll knock your socks off. If you you need more joy, you're not going to find joy from this, from modifying this, buying more things in this, making yourself more comfortable here, making life more adjustable here. This is, this is going to be what it is. And there's going to be blessings of God here, and we're going to enjoy them, and we're going to be generous, and we're going to say that God is good. But no matter how, <laughs> I'll just say it this way, no matter how good God is now, it's going to get gooder. It's just, it, it, this is wonderful, and thank you for it, Lord. But listen, lift up your eyes, because your salvation draweth nigh. If you, if you are looking for more joy, then you need to start looking in the right places. You can't find joy in this world. You've got to, you've got, listen, believers in Jesus Christ should be the most irrepressibly optimistic people on the planet. You should annoy people because of your joy and your optimism. You should. Because you are not tied down to, fastened by, or defined your socioeconomic station. 
or your geopolitical situation. And we rejoice not because of our situation, but because of our salvation. You are really saved. Let's wrap it up by just looking at those last three verses, 10, 11, and 12. Peter says, as to this salvation, he said, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come He said, they made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Are you hearing that? Peter's reminding, and Peter will say it again, he's he's very conscious of the fact that the Old Testament prophets and scriptures, he says the spirit of Christ was in them testifying that something was coming, someone was coming. And they didn't understand it. And that's why the Old Testament is just rife, just populated with these things that will pop up, these messianic images and prophecies. But then he says, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in, the, in things which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That Friends, the Old Testament saints, The prophets and angels themselves have sought to see and understand the greatness of this salvation. But you got it. You got it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got it. You got it. You are really saved. Come on, say, we are really saved. You are really saved. You are really saved. You should live like it. But we'll talk about that to come. But today, you are really saved. You should rejoice like it. Let's stand together as we close today. I want to challenge you, and then we'll, we'll leave happy. Everybody standing, bowing their, eye, bowing their head, closing their eyes, I want to make a very serious thing. We've said over and over again, you are really saved. But that only, really that, but only you can really respond to that. Are you saved? (laughs) Once again, heritage does not know the meaning of rhetorical. (laughs) If you are not or you're not sure, you can be sure today. Right now, today, you can make this decision. Right now, today, you you don't say, what do I have to earn? What do I have to do? What levers do I have to pull? There aren't any. Salvation is a decision you make to respond to what God already did. God has already done all of those things we talked about. The gospel is still a command for you to obey, for you to say, yes, Lord, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I surrender. I give up my life for him. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know in my heart today if I've surrendered to Jesus. I may have been a fan of church. I may have, I may have given Jesus a like on Facebook, but I I don't know that I've been born again, that there has been a something that's happened in me. So today I want to just, before we go, who's here right now, right now, this morning, who's here today to say, Dab, I don't want to leave here today without knowing for sure. I don't know that I'm saved, but I want to make sure I get that way. How many today would just, right where you are, just lift up your hand and say, Dav, that's me. Today, would you pray with me? Include me in a prayer as we close today. I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. 
I want to make sure that we don't miss this opportunity. All right, here's what I'm seeing. There's only two options. Everybody here knows they're saved, or you don't want to be. I'm praying it's the former. How many here say, I know I'm saved? Say it again. Say, I know I'm saved. Say, I know I'm saved. Come on, say, I know I'm saved. That's not how it goes. Boom, chuck, boom, chuck, boom, chuck. Pop, 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 pop. That's right there. Bam, bam, bam. Come on now, say, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. Come on, sing it. And I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah. Hit that snare, but Jesus lifted me. I'm on my way to heaven, shouting victory. I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm shouting victory. I'm on my way to heaven, shouting victory. Austin. Try it again. I'm singing glory, hallelujah. That's right. Jesus lifted me. <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> All right, be nice to somebody. Get out of here. Shout. Get happy. Live like you're saved.